Hello, this is Rob Carmichael with another Mainly Matters podcast, and today I'm excited to have uh, John T. Reed, owner of J.T. Reed's Gun and Cigar Shop in, in Auburn with us. We're going to talk about uh, how to how the uh, the business of, of running a gun shop, starting a gun shop, and, and all of that uh, happens, and a little bit about uh, uh, the background of, uh, of, of uh, the inner workings of purchasing, buying guns, some of the legislation. I know it's a, it's a somewhat controversial topic in America today. It shouldn't be necessarily, uh, but, uh, but it is because of a, a lot of factors. And I'm not going to get into to, to many of those. I think we all can read the news. We all recognize that there are different sides of this whole, uh, this whole debate on, on guns and in our society. But what I want to hopefully learn a little bit more today about is, is how does this whole process work? What is it to, from starting a business and all the ramifications around owning this type of a business that John's been very successful with for, for many, many years? You know, one of the things I think we, we should note at the beginning is four in 10 adults say they live in a household with a gun, including 30% who, uh, who personally own one. And personal protection tops the list of reasons why gun owners say they own a firearm. So uh, I think that's that's an important statistic uh, at the beginning of this. And also around half the uh, population does see gun violence as a, as a big problem in the country today. Now, we're not going to get into, you know, the whys and, and, and hows and, and all of that or how that happens because there are so many different opinions about about uh, the causes, uh, the solutions, and all of that. But what we want to hear a little bit about today is is how this whole thing works, and and uh, more about the inner workings of of running this type of a business. So, John, welcome to Mainly Matters. Good morning, sir. How are you? Very well this this fine day. And I noticed on your uh, let's first of all talk about where you are. You're in Auburn. You have a new shop. Could you give us the address and, and the location of, of your shop? Sure. It's 24 Garfield Road, Auburn, Maine, 04210. And I've been here. We moved in here on October 1st, uh, 2021. Prior to that, I was on Court Street in Auburn for, oh, goodness, 35, 36 years. So we've been around a day or two. You're well known in the Auburn area. Uh, you also do uh, cigars as part of your shop, right? Or was that the old? old business. No, I have a walk-in cigar humidor too. I guess that just helps me with my bad habit, having them so close by. I know you like a good cigar and, uh, and you've done a lot of things leading up to, uh, your current business. Let's talk about your, where you started your career. You were in law enforcement. Can you talk about uh, a little bit about that? Sure. I, I, um, did 20 years full-time in law enforcement. Um, Two, two and a half years Newport PD and then 17 years here in Auburn PD. So been up and down the boulevard. And, and it, it was actually in law enforcement that I uh, got in the selling firearms. It was in 1985. Um, my old police chief sold them. And I said, geez, if he's making money on the side doing that, I think I ought to make some money on the side. So uh, that's how I got into it back in 1985. Now, you also, uh, my podcast are a variety of things from leadership to business to any any number of different topics. And, and I'm really intrigued always by people who 
one of the two, one for one thing, have the fortitude to start uh, their own business. And and you also you had a restaurant at one point in time, didn't you? I did. I had a restaurant for eight years. Matter of fact, I had the honor two different times. Um, my restaurant was the stage for Olympia Snow announcing her re-election campaign for U.S. Senator. Two different times she did it from my restaurant. And what was the name of it? The Black Watch. Black Watch, and that was right in Auburn. That's as well. It and so you, as you mentioned, you were in law enforcement and. and from uh, watching other folks uh, uh, sell some firearms, you, you thought that that might be a way to go. Tell us about how you actually started your business and, and, and how that whole thing transpired. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about you know, what are the laws, the regulations, the hoops you have to jump through to, to do what you do. Sure. Well, back in back in the eighties, it, it was quite easy to obtain a federal firearms license to um purchase wholesale firearms and i did i did as i say it was a sideshow to get me uh, some extra income for a young family then a, a local restaurant here restaurant store convenience store i uh, gave me a spot inside it was called max variety and i was there for a year and then i said you know this is pretty profitable i ought to open a full-time gun shop to which i did and i was still a police officer at the time um but that was, but again, that was back in the day when you can get federal licenses quite easily, quite easily. And it was a sideshow that grew into this million dollar business. And so, uh, how, when you say it was easier, then tell us about how what you have to go through nowadays to do what you do. Is is it? I guess it's changed somewhat than over the oh, years. Oh boy, it, it it has changed astronomically. Um, again, back in the day, you can get a federal firearms license and sell out of your house. You really can't do that any longer. ATF has really um, made it so you 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 need a an actual business location. You need security. Um, the the late I I, I want to use the proper term the the um, part time gun shops. Are really closed up now. People with licenses that, like I start out with, they just don't exist any longer. ATF is is requiring an actual location, security, so on. Much much more difficult, uh, probably as it should be in this day and age. Uh, I agree. It, I and agree. for you know, for anybody that has the illusion or the the assumption that that people just can sell gun, guns willy nilly, that's it's certainly not. Not the case. Well, right now, from from when I started in 85 compared to what it is now, I bet there was a tenth of people have federal firearms licenses in Maine compared to when I started. Easy. Maybe a tenth of us. Wow. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, a survey, it was a Gallup survey conducted in 2019, Gun owners were most likely to cite personal safety or protection as the reason they own a firearm. Roughly six in ten uh, folks uh, say that. Others, obviously, other answers including hunting and recreation, those sorts of things. Is that what you is that what you find when people come in? You have conversations. What do you, what do you find is the the most likely reason or their desire to to own a firearm? Well, that's going to tie us into several different things here. Number one, when I first got into the business, um, 90% of my clientele, 90% of my business was through men, 10% through women. Times have changed so gosh darn much. Now, I bet 
60% of my clientele now is men, 40% of women. And the reason being is, is people are taking it into their own hands, protecting themselves, protecting the, the, their uh, family and, and stuff. In addition to that, when I first started out, there were a lot of hunters, a lot of hunting. Hunting has dropped off tremendously in this state, too. Um, for whatever reason, I guess it's easier to go to shop and save a shawls than it is grown in the woods and hunt, which has taken a hit. But handguns, I, I sell at least 80% of my business is handguns compared to 20% to long guns. Interesting. It, 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 it is interesting. And that would lead to the, the personal protection directly to personal protection absolutely directly to personal protection i i can tell you you take like real estate agents um in my area we have of course the the rural butfield mine and so on and so forth so you take the ladies going out into these locations and showing the house way out you know 20 30 miles from nowhere they're starting to protect themselves some more which it's the way of the times. Got to mm-hmm. do it. And, and your your statistics are really pretty close to what the Gallup studies show. About thirty nine percent of of men surveyed in the survey or uh, uh, own a gun, and twenty two percent of women. And I think you were pretty close to that uh, in what you you had mentioned. And and the other piece that ties into your last comment, really, forty one percent of adults living in rural areas report owning a farm compared with 29% of those living in cities and uh, no, so forth. No question. No question. But you take a look here in, in, in uh, what we call the LA of the East Coast, Lewis and Auburn. We have a lot of day, daytime crime here too. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of city people might not tell you that, but uh, we do. Mm-hmm. So I- individuals are, are, are taking it up on themselves to, to protect themselves. And then again, don't blame them a bit. Now, how do you how do you come about uh, uh, the, your your inventory? How do, is it? Do you order online? Do you go to gun? How does that whole thing work? How do you how do you build your inventory? I have probably five major distributors that I utilize, and and um, they're in New York, um, out in Denver, and some in Texas, Florida, um, but wholesale in in my biggest ones, I, I guess, would be from what is Sports South down in, I believe it's Louisiana, directly out of, but yeah, we do um, trade shows, one big trade show a year that I order a lot from, but we also buy a lot of good used firearms that come in from people that, um, for whatever reason, need money or they, they, they got one too many firearms according to the wife and they got to get rid of one or two. And uh, they bring them in here and we buy a lot of good used firearms also. So that's and that's great to hear. So so people can, if they have a, a firearm that they want to get rid of, they can bring it in and um, and either trade or sell or or. Exactly. Matter of fact, this week I'm scheduled to go up to Greenville, uh, pick up the rest of a firearm collection that I got into six months ago, and then when I get back, I have to head down to the coast to pick up another firearm collection. So I do travel all over the state, and. and the reason we do that, that I do that, is a lot of people are uncomfortable taking their firearms to um, gun shops to sell. With my history, you can take a look online where I am a retired police officer. They've been in business so long, they feel comfortable calling me and going to the house. So it's good for both of us. So part of your part of your um, 
inventory includes collectible type firearms, older firearms or rare, rare firearms? Exactly. I, I have a number of firearms here, um, pre dated pre 1900. I have one matter of fact, civil war vintage just came in the past couple of three weeks. So yeah. And, uh, I, I love my war stuff, especially world war two vintage firearms it tend to be my forte that I like seeing come in. And, and what are some of the most unique firearms you had old, uh, rare, you mentioned world war two, um, yeah. The, again, the ones I like, I look like the old World War II German Lugas and the World War II uh, Colt 1911s and the Durands. These are items that, that, that are fond of my heart and bring good money. And truly, when I get some real good ones in, they don't go on the counter. They go home with me. <laughs> sure they do. Well, what, what is the oldest firearm you've had in your shop or you've, since you've been in Right now, I, I, I have an 1863 um old silver war flintlock that i have in stock yeah and is it in good shape great shape very good shape i i take it out back and fire it right now without a problem without any hesitation and, and what would say if you if you're willing to share what would something like that go for it's three thousand wow wow yeah, yeah. so that's uh <laughs> i can see that part uh what a what a fascinating part of your business to be able to especially i know you and you you love history. Uh, you love yeah, uh, American military history and, and world history as well. So it must be fascinating when you're able to find these collectibles. It is for sure. Do you have Do you have people that are are re, uh, reoccurring or or repeat visitors or, or people you buy from constantly? Oh, no, question. no, no question about it. I um, a couple other local businessmen here are very big into into. Um, collectibles and when i get unique things in i give them a call give them first dibs on it uh, but we always have new customers coming in i advertise heavy on the radio different radio stations and uh, we're always having different people bringing things in and taking things out with them yeah. and you mentioned uh, you mentioned you go to you have uh, gun shows trade shows that you go to that you have you have a booth at uh... yeah you, you know and that's a very good question pre Pre-pandemic, I would do 20 to 25 gun shows a year. Now it's down to gun shows have really dropped off. I do three gun shows a year now. We have the big Lewiston gun show in March. We have the ancient one gun show, which is in Augusta in February. And, of course, we go up to Bangor for the uh, Bangor gun show in September. But outside of that, gun shows in New Hampshire have come to a total stop. And uh, the, the good ones in Maine have just gone away unfortunately has that had a, a, a major impact one way or the other on your business or have you been able well, to use different outlets and different avenues to yeah well it, you know i've been able with this new building has more than um made up for the loss of the gun shows at, at this point but the gun shows back in the day was, was my primary way of making a living yeah is it because of the the accessibility of your new building or the location it, both um brand new building great parking right off a of main road but the parking has made the biggest difference you can pull in here and get out pretty easy now and and of course i have a lot more stuff on display uh, items that i had at the old gun shop but i just didn't have the room to display it mm -hmm. here we can here we can and you're open seven days a week 
seven days a week, nine to five Monday through Friday, nine to four on Saturday, and nine to three on Sunday. Do you have a, 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 a range or are you planning to, to add a shooting range to your property? Well, I, I have the blueprints all done. I have the city permit to go ahead and do it. But with what happened with ammunition a couple of years ago, getting so hard to get ammunition, I said, you know, I'm not putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into a shooting range and then not have the ammunition to utilize it. So we, we, we put that on hold for a while and see what happens. And I would think the environmental and the and the permitting and, and that whole piece of building is, is significantly expensive and yeah, well, that, and that's a good point, too, Rob. Back in the day, the old police department, we had an indoor shooting range there. And it, um, it was a nice range. But I, I got to tell you, you couldn't have that range now with OSHA requirements, lead remute, removal, and the smoke that we used to breathe there. Um, you just couldn't do it now. We we went through that in the old the old armories, and the guard used to have yep. uh, ranges that were used in, in inside as well. And, and I think the same sort of impacts hit those. Well, if if um, when we we talk about the gun shows and and you going to the collectible, what requirements do people have when you when you go to somebody's house or you're at a gun show? Um, what, in terms of background checks or in terms of yeah. of those sorts of things, how does that whole process work? Well, in all the cell firearm, we have what they call the ATF form forty four seventy three. And that's a form they have to fill out in front of you and ask specific questions about are you a convict, are you a drug user, are you a U.S. citizen. It's required that you, you need to provide a government picture ID of where you currently live, and it has to be a current ID. And then we fill this form on, and it can be at your residence. We fill this form on, and we call right into ATF and uh, give them all the information that you provided us and ATF has three options they they can approve you right then and there they can de- deny you right then and there or they can put you on further review now the further review is the tricky one um further review means that the, 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 there's something there that ATF got to check up on a little bit more so what they do is they give us 72 business hours Saturday Sunday's not not included they, they give us 72 business hours that they have to get back to us with either a go ahead or a deny. If they don't get back to us within those 72 business hours, then we can legally transfer the firearm to the individual. Um, that's how it works. And that can be done at gun shows, at residence, in the gun shop, but it, it, those are the requirements. So when that form in, in, one of the I'm looking at my survey data again, and and obviously as as we talked at the beginning of the show, there are a lot of policy disagreements and political disagreements about this. But I think it's important that people, you know, hear from people that are in the business like yourself exactly how this works. And and just uh, one of these statistics is that there's broad agreement on both sides of the aisle on some uh, gun policy proposals. One is. Uh, that uh, would restrict gun access, preventing those from with mental illness from purchasing guns. 85%, 85% of Republicans and 90% of Democrats support this. And the other one is subjecting private gun sales and gun show sales to background checks, where most, uh, again, both sides of the aisle, Republicans, Democrats, uh, support that. And what you just described, is that a background check or it, it's just that uh, the ATF does uh, some sort of 
crime check? How does that? You know, it, it's an actual background check through national and state database. Um, they do. No, I believe and I could be wrong on this, but I believe now that they're getting it updated so that if a person has been caught committed uh, for mental illness, that it is recorded. So that is a big, uh, big plus for the firearms industry. We don't we don't want people who have problems carrying firearms, having firearms. And, and so if is there a misunderstanding out in the public that, you know, that there this is not happening or can you help us clarify that whole misperception? Sure. There's a lot of misperceptions. Um, they, they talk about the gun show loophole. There is no gun show loophole. I, I tell you what they're talking about, Phil, is, for instance, I, I'm at a gun show, and it doesn't matter where, but we'll be in the state of Maine, and an individual comes up to me, and he has a firearm for sale. And I look at him and know that the firearm that he has is worth $200 to me. You know, it's it's business. I got to make money. So a guy standing next to him says, hey, listen, I'll give you $300 for that firearm. So obviously the guy looks at him and says, give me the money. So he gives him the $300. The, the, the firearms pass over to the individual. He's gone. What has just happened? You've lost contact with that firearm. The individual selling it no longer knows who he just sold it to, has no lineage, no idea who it is, whether he's an in-state resident, not a state resident, whether he's a convicted felon or not. That is where gun shows have had a problem. Now, in gun shows that we have, the big Lawson gun show, we require any firearms transferred in that gun show go through a federal firearms license. I provide the service myself. You want to sell a, a firearm to this individual there, come over to my table. You both give me your IDs. I, I log in who I'm taking the firearm in from. I do a background check on where the firearm's going to. It comes down to good paper makes good friends. And we're at, we need that. We absolutely need that. Too many firearms are getting lost. And that is the gun show loophole that they're talking about. And it, and as you, as you just mentioned that even if, even if I, what, what could they do in those gun shows to prevent even that happening? Is there anything you can see that uh, would prevent Joe Blow from, you know, handing, handing a weapon over to another guy for. There really isn't except, there really is. I mean, you can't keep an eye on every firearm that comes into a gun show. We, we Every firearm that comes in, we put a tag on it. Every firearm that goes out, we retag it in a different color. Mm -hmm. So we know what's coming in and going out. But you can't follow individuals around the whole gun show and make sure. All you can do is what, what, what we say. Hey, guys, there's problems out there. We want to keep track of firearms. We're offering, offering this service to you during the gun show. Abide by the rules. It, that's best you, best you can do. And that make I mean, to me, that's it's it's like if I if I wanted to to sell you my gun, right? Yeah. I, yeah. There's no way to track that. Well, when you come in and I buy a firearm from you, I give you a receipt and I tell everybody there. Right now, your firearm has been legally transferred to a federally firearms dealer. You are no longer responsible for that firearm. So let's wind it back a little bit. Say, say um, you bought a firearm five years ago, 
and you sold it to an individual. Now, that firearm is, is used in a crime. So ATF calls me and they say, Mr. Reed, you sold, you received this firearm from this distributor on such and such a date. So I got to go get the form. Say, yes, I did. I received it from our side distributors and I sold it to Rob Carmichael on such and such a date. Now ATF comes to you and they say, Rob, you received this firearm from JT Reed's gun shop on such and such a date. Where is it? And you stand there and go, Jesus, I don't know. Well, you shouldn't know. Right. Right. You, you so that's know. that's where the track for for us is. It, it yeah. That makes that makes sense. So I I even if I gave it to my brother or, or gave it to somebody, it's still going to be tracked back to me and somebody's going to come if it's used in a crime and they're going to come back and and ask me where it is. And that's absolutely correct. That's right. absolutely correct. And now all of a sudden you say Geez, I, I sold it to so-and-so. Okay. So they go, no, find so-and-so. And so-and-so is a convicted felon. Well, you know what? You are subject to the same laws that I'm subject to. You sold that firearm to a convicted felon. You will be held responsible for that firearm. And what are your thoughts on, so uh, that's that's a great explanation because I I, and I really think we need more, we more, need more dialogue from people that, like yourself that are in the business that know what's going on and see what's going on as opposed to just a lot of people with opinions out well, there. You know, unfortunately on both sides of the aisle, it seems like common sense is checked at the door. Um, I, I've had this conversation with many politicians, Olympia Snow, Susan Collins, so on and so forth. And, and, and it's very aggravating. Let, let me give an example. An 18 year old comes in here. Okay, and he's all excited. He wants to buy a nice target 22 handgun pistol. He wants to go out to the range and, and really target shoot. I can't sell him that 22 caliber pistol. Okay, but now he looks and he sees an AK 47 on the wall or an AR 15 on the wall. He says, Well, I want that then. I can sell him an AK, I can sell him an AR. And he walks out the door with it. That de- like, it, just defies common sense, doesn't it? Th- it defies common sense. Now, let's go beyond that. Let's go beyond that. This same individual is, is 21 years old, okay? So he can buy those 22. So he comes in and he buys two Tiger 22 pistols. I sell him two Tiger 22 pistols. Now, I have to do a special report, send them in to the local police chief here in town, partner to them, and I have to send a special report in the ATF. Okay, because he bought two Target 22 handguns. The guy comes in the next day. He buys five AR-15s, five AK-47s, whatever. I don't have to do a damn thing. This, and why? Why is that? What have you had any explanation from the no, hell politicians? No, no, hell no, 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 hell no, hell no, hell no. no. I, mean, I mean, you you talk about aggravating and not making sense. How's that one for you? Right, right. <laughs> pretty good well and, good, and huh? the other one that comes up and again in the survey is um a, a majority of republicans so this is i'm just reading off the chart uh, about the federal database what are your thoughts about a federal database a majority of republicans say they favor 57 percent. those are republicans who don't own a gun but they say they favor creating a federal government database to track all gun sales well uh 30 who own guns say the same 
What, what are your well, thoughts on well, the database, or what's the downside of that? Okay, well, right now, see, you're going to get into the politics, and you're going to get me in trouble here. <laughs> I just <laughs> want the facts. I, 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 don't, the I, don't totally tr- I don't trust the government ha- having all So this that's, really that's part of the reason why people might I, be. I, I really don't. But then again, on the other hand, good paperwork make, makes good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're, not, we're not talking about BB guns here. We're talking about high-powered firearms, and, and you should know where they're at. So that that's walking a tight line. Yep, it, it is. And I guess that's, that, I was just trying to clarify that that's, that's gotta be the background there that, or, or why there might be opposition to that. But it, I, I, it almost I, I, seems like what you mentioned with your paperwork, what you're doing, there's sort of a database right there that's already created, right? Is, or no? Yes, absolutely. We're required. We were required to keep this that, uh, these records for 20 years, and then we can dispose of them. Well, over the past two months, they've told us that we can't dispose of any paperwork. So, uh, yeah, every form you fill out, I, I have here. And uh, Jamie, uh, the guy that runs my gun shop here, he finds that a pain in the butt. But, yeah, we have boxes and boxes tucked away. But I got I got to tell you a story, Rob, that, that's kind of cute. And it's about bad guys are going to get guns, okay? I was on duty. It was a Saturday afternoon. Ah, uh, Saturday evening, uh, 6, 7 o'clock. And um, we get a call of a, 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 a armed robbery just had transpired at a local gas station. So I happened to be right around the corner from that gas station, and, and they said, stand by, we'll give you a description. So I turned right, and I said, well, give me the description quick. Um, I got a guy running against me, and as I'm getting out, the guy draws down on me. And I said, well, geez, I got his description. I know what he looks like. So I, I started chasing him and uh, got him conning in between some buildings, and, and uh, we called in state police and everything else, and had him cornered in uh, canines. And uh, with canines, help, found him on a, on a loft, a, a second-floor loft. So I took him down, handcuffed him. I took the handgun out of the back of his pants, and I looked at it and looked at the make, and it was a very unique serial number. Well, son of a gun, don't you know? He had stole that earlier in the day. It was my house gun from the gun shop. No kidding. No kidding. No kidding. Well, that comes and I looked around. at that, and I said, well, son of a gun, I almost just got killed by my own firearm. So what had happened was earlier in the day, I'm on night shift. My employees are working days at the gun shop, and, and he had gone in with another guy, and they got my employee down back. Well, that, that particular handgun was in a money bag underneath the cash drawer, okay? Well, he grabbed the money bag thinking it was for money. It wasn't. It was a handgun. So he's having that handgun, not having the cash. He used the handgun that night to rob a gas station. Yeah. And the point is, is that criminals are going to get the firearms. One way or the other, they're going to get them. They're going to get them. You got to make them pay for them when they do get them. You got to put them away. I agree. Do you... Do you find that uh, there's been a lot of talk, and you mentioned the fact that people that have mental issues should not, you know, should not own guns. There's been some talk about these red flag laws that would would provide an opportunity. Some states, I think, have, have incorporated red flag laws, which basically would would um, screen people those that that have had some issues, a variety mm-hmm. of ways, would not be allowed. To, what are your thoughts on that, John? I, I, I got to tell you, I support it, and that's going to probably make a lot of people mad. Um, and, and I tell you, 
from being here, you know how close I am to my veterans. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very close to my veterans. A lot of veterans are afraid that the government, for whatever reason, might say you have PTSD and you can't own a firearm. And it's very much a concern to a lot of veterans um, that that enjoy the firearms, like the firearms. Um, What what, what was the the guy that the the uh, the sniper in um chris uh oh. did a movie on yeah him. uh i've lost lost it but you, his first you, name you was chris yes yes chris yeah um there's a guy that 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 was trying to do the best he could and somebody you know Look, took him out that, that's that was right Joe. Uh, you're walking a tightrope. You're walking a tightrope. It's definitely a tough, it's a tough, very tough issue. uh, It it is a tough issue. It is a tough issue. And we need common sense and and smart people running that, running that. Well, what if, let's turn it, turn it a little differently now and talk about um, just the the toughest part about your business. Mm -hmm. And then we'll talk about what's the most fun most enjoyable what's the toughest part of running the type of business that you you run competing with online individuals and that is that that is actually loosened up a lot too uh it was up until the past year people wanted firearms online didn't have to pay sales tax and that's one of the things janet mills has done she's oh no 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 you order an online you're paying sales tax so that has helped out tremendously that's helped helped out tremendously but that's you know Competing with law online, I, I try to do it most of the time I can. Most of the time I can compete with online, but uh, that's the toughest part of my business. I, I expected you to say the the, uh, the bureaucratic paperwork and all that, but I'm sure that you probably become accustomed to that over the years. You know, that doesn't... Just that goes, doesn't with the, goes with the, uh, the, the, you know, the show. So what's the most... Makes good friends. Yeah. yeah. What's and, the most and, enjoyable? I, I love the purchasing firearms. I, I really do, uh, especially collections. I, I, I love purchasing and putting those firearms in my hand and getting the history. And uh, I, I really truly bond with the people that, that I buy from, the history that they have. And, and uh, well, matter of fact, just uh, this past week, I, I, I bought an extremely nice piece. And the, the guy that I've known for 40 years says, John, I, I trust you to put this. This has been in my family for forever. And there's no one to pass it on down to now. He said, I hope you put this in somebody's good hands that will. And I did. I put it in a person's hands that, that's really going to take care of that fire. I mean, it sounds funny, sounds corny, but it's true. Well, and I'm sure you love the dialogue. I know you. Well, I, I, well, I love the dialogue. Yeah. I am, and absolutely. Do. Can you can you talk about any uh, famous celebrities that have. I'm sure you you connect with a lot of different people. Yeah, well, uh, it, it, Hank Williams Jr. is a huge huge um, customer of the uh, Savage Firearms. Matter of fact, we just talked about him this past week, and he's coming up for a show here, and I believe up in the Bangor. Yeah, up in, in August, I think. I think it's in, in August. August. Yeah, and he's already reached out um, to get some savages collected for him, and he will be down. But Hank Williams Jr. is the, the is the celebrity that we mostly have. Yeah. Oh, that's that's outstanding. Pretty cool. Well. I want to end with one last tough question, not not political. I'm not going to nope. debate or anything like that, but I think it's one if I didn't ask you your thoughts on it, your opinion 
people would be disappointed who might be listening um, when we when we uh, put this out on the podcast circuit. Uh, assault weapons or AR-15s, the, the sale of those, uh, should there be a higher age? You mentioned the whole thing that doesn't make sense regarding, you know, being able to sell an AR-15 to an 18-year-old, but not being able to sell a 22 uh, pistol or things like that. What are, you, what are your thoughts? How would you weigh into that whole discussion? Rob, when you and I were six, uh, 18 years old, could we buy beer? We could. You betcha. And I was not in the service. You were. You were in the hot zone. I, I, I wasn't. But I think if you're 18 years old and you can go serve this country and put your life on the line, you can damn well buy a firearm. Regardless. So, from regardless. I do. Which one. Yeah. I, I do. Now, now, having said that, okay, having said that, you go get a driver's license. Don't you have to show that that you're capable of handling that vehicle that you're going to be driving? I, I don't think it's wrong that people should, if you're going to buy a firearm, I don't think it's wrong that people should show that they're capable of handling the firearm. I, I don't think that's far-fetched. That's my feeling. Well, if I can leave it at, at this, too, is, is um, you know, I, I, I'm i not an NRA member. Can you believe that? I, I, I Gun shop, I, I don't belong to the NRA. But I support all my local gun clubs around here, and I guess that's what I'm sending out to people now. Support your local gun clubs support them. They're your first line of defense against anything going on. They're the ones that can help train you, can educate you in the use of firearms. Support your local gun clubs. It's been an honor, John, having you on. I really appreciate you taking the time out of a a busy day to talk to us on Mainland Addicts. Sounds good, Rob. You take care and we'll get together and play some golf this summer, okay? You betcha. Well, this has been another Mainly Matters podcast. This is Rod Carmichael. I hope you join us again soon. (laughs) 